Pastor George is again at our Father's House Church in Cape Town today. And so I have the privilege of taking us through part two of our series titled Reset this morning. I must say thank you to all of you for uh, receiving me so warmly last week. It is greatly appreciated and I pray that today will be a blessing for all of us. Have you ever felt totally unprepared for a test? I must say that I experienced this in my university days. I'm not sure what type of student you were, or perhaps still are, but for the most part at high school, I was quite a diligent student. I did my homework, I studied quite hard, I was involved in extramurals, and I generally got good marks. My parents will tell you that for a couple of years in high school, there, there was a time that my work ethic might have slacked off a little bit, but for parents of teenagers, take heart, because when it mattered most towards the end of grade 11 and matric, I pulled up my socks and I worked. And then I had the privilege of going to university. Uh, but when I got to university, the routine and discipline of high school was gone, and I was left to my own devices. Now, before you panic, I did not crash out in first year because of too much jawling with Dirty Mike and the boys. It was... Just a, a case of, my issue was not a case of partying too hard. It was, in fact, playing too much sport. Um, you see, I was at university to study BCom accounting full-time, but I had relegated that priority to part-time at best and had taken up sport as my full-time activity. I was captain of the university rowing team while coaching rowing at my old school. I was refing rugby while coaching rugby at my old school. I was playing football while coaching junior football too. And when I did have a break from all of my sporting commitments, I used my downtime not to catch up with my studies, but to brush up on my golf. And so the, the problem was that I got away with this for a while. Um, my hard work at high school had sort of carried me through first year and I actually passed first and second year quite comfortably. But then I got to third year and things got a bit serious and I got a bit of a wake-up call. At the end of third year, uh, now bear in mind I'd never failed anything before throughout high school and first and second year. At the end of third year, I didn't quite fail, but I had five rewrites in the space of four days in the middle of what should have been my varsity summer holidays. And to give a bit of context, we only had four subjects a semester in third year. So that should, the five rewrites should give an idea of how my academic year had been. The sport was great, though. The sport was great. Um, so I, I, I managed to work very hard during those varsity holidays, and with a lot of hard work and even more prayer, I passed those five rewrites and passed well enough to get into the honors program. And so I got what I prayed for. I got into honors in accounting. Um, the problem was, while I had received the answer to the prayers that I had been praying, I had set myself up poorly for the test that is honors in accounting. I had done enough to get by, but I hadn't set myself up to prosper and to succeed in the test I was facing. I, I got to go face the test I had prayed for, but I was hopelessly unprepared for it. And perhaps you've received the answer to the prayers that you've prayed. You're, you're walking in um, to the prayers that you have prayed. But like me, you feel unprepared for the test of handling the blessing. Like you haven't been set up for success. 
finding yourself in need of some equipping or um, some, yeah, some equipping in order to conquer what you are facing or to gain victory in the test. Perhaps your test is scraping DP and an exam, finding yourself hopelessly ill-equipped for that exam. Or perhaps the test is a new job or a new role at work that you've prayed for, but is now an examination of your competency. Perhaps it's becoming a parent or adding another child, and this is now a test of your character. Or perhaps, like me, it's becoming a husband. I'm not sure if I've mentioned this before, but I <clears throat> recently got married. I couldn't resist, I'm sorry. <clears throat> okay. Sometimes, like the 10 spies we spoke about last week, it feels like we've arrived in the promised land, the inheritance God has in store for us and which we have been praying for, only to feel totally ill-equipped and unprepared for the test that is to determine our destiny. Today, I'd like to encourage us from Scripture that we are well-equipped for the test, that the testing God may put us through is not to defeat us or demotivate us or derail us, but it is to teach, guide, and coach us to live victoriously. We should not be so caught up and distracted by other activities that we do not take hold of the opportunities we are given to live victoriously. There is an art of warfare. The presence of giants to overcome or a test of face is not a sign that God is against us. Instead, it is evidence that we are walking in the promised land. The 10 spies who went to scout the promised land with Joshua and Caleb came back telling a story of how they felt hopelessly ill-equipped, set up for failure, and how the presence of giant and fortified cities was evidence that God had forsaken them, or worse, that God was actually against them and had set them up for destruction. However, Joshua and Caleb, they had confidence that the God who delivered them out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm would, in fact, deliver them from their enemies. The one who parted the Red Sea and provided manna in the wilderness and water in a wasteland would provide for them in their time of need. They knew that their story thus far was their setup for success. They knew that defeating Pharaoh and parting the Red Sea were obstacles only God could overcome. And so when they faced giants and fortified cities that seemed like obstacles only God could overcome, they had confidence that God would overcome. Their perspective of their God was what set them apart from the other 10 spies. They trusted that their God was greater than the giants that they faced and that the victory he'd granted them throughout their lives would be the victory that they saw in their future. It's funny that though the other spies who went with Joshua and Caleb forgot about the hand of their God. The very thing that they feared, the giants and the fortified cities, Scripture tells us that those things trembled at, the, at what the Lord had done. The hand of the Lord that brought them out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea and the hand of the Lord that parted the Jordan to get them into the land of Canaan. And sometimes it seems like our enemies have a greater understanding of the greatness of our God than even we do. And, but when Joshua had led the Israelites into their promised inheritance and faced the very first opposition at Jericho, we read that Joshua encountered the angel, the commander of the army of the Lord, who said, I have delivered this. I have delivered them 
into your hands. Joshua was declared victorious before he even went into battle. When we enter our promised inheritance and are faced with opposition, remember that the Lord has delivered victory into our hands. Our invitation, like Joshua, is to humbly trust and boldly obey the Lord, to patiently await the victory which He has given us. And when the Lord, when the Lord determines the timing to be right, the walls will fall, and those who boldly accept it will walk in victory. There's a risk to us thinking that opposition in our lives or obstacles to overcome, tests to face or battles to wage is a sign that God isn't for us or that perhaps we aren't living in the destiny that God has planned for us. That's not to say that there isn't, uh, that peace isn't a promise of God. Joshua and all the great kings of Israel experienced a season of peace after walking humbly and boldly at war with God or God alongside them at war. But even after the Lord had given Israel peace on all sides, Joshua had rest from his enemies. Scripture tells us that he left giants in the land to test or to teach the arts of warfare to the generation that had not fought any of the giants in order to test their obedience to the Lord and to test their faith and trust. Part of our promised inheritance from God is learning the arts of warfare in order to grow our character and build our capacity to carry our future blessing. It is to test our trust in and obedience to God. He's helping us learn to be faithful with little so that he can entrust us with much more. Last Sunday, my brother was up here with his wife for the dedication of their second baby girl. And I must apologize for getting so emotional. Lynn Sauls pulled me aside afterwards and said she's, she put a lot of work into her makeup last Sunday morning before coming to church. And I utterly destroyed it by making her cry. But having had the privilege of watching both my brother and his wife raise their two little girls and Vincent and Cherise raise their two little girls, it's been interesting to see how um, in order for their children to grow in character and to learn to take responsibility for themselves, there's an element of testing that their parents do. They coax them to crawl and then to take that first stumbly step and then to walk and eventually to run. It certainly is not cruel and they'll never give them more than they can handle. And they'll always be present to help them through. But they also wouldn't be good parents if they never helped them grow in their character and their carrying capacity. The, the testing of the children is done in love by their parents for the benefit of the children. The same is true of how God loves us. God is preparing us to run with perseverance the race of faith marked out before us and to run a race in order to win the prize, to live a life worthy of the inheritance God has in store for us. It requires discipline. And in order for me to carry the designation of chartered accountant, it required discipline at varsity and a testing of both my character and competence to prove that I had been faithful with little and so I could be entrusted with much. In order for my godchildren to become more uh, able to take on more responsibility in their lives, it requires discipline and a testing to show that they can be faithful with little and so that their parents can entrust them with much more. In order to carry the blessing God has in mind for us, it requires a disciplined character and an increase in our carrying capacity. Hebrews 12 says, My dear child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he corrects you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he corrects everyone he accepts as his child. 
Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? No, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. The presence of testing in our lives is part of the process of God producing within us the character and capacity to carry the blessing he has in mind for us. It's learning to take the responsibility necessary to handle our inheritance and carry our blessing. God does not leave us ill-equipped for the test, and he will never put us through things that we cannot handle. He'll protect us until we are ready, just like he protected the Israelites as he brought them out of Egypt. And he'll always offer a way out. His grace is always sufficient for us, and his strength is made perfect in our weakness. But the testing in our lives is evidence of the presence of a loving heavenly father, not the absence of one. And the testing he has brought us through thus far is a setup for the future he has in mind for us. He has equipped us well for the fight of faith for our future. James 1 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is a reward and an inheritance that the Lord has in mind for us, which requires the facing of a test, the facing of a giant, the winning of a battle. We're very quick to turn away from discipline or from the facing of, of the giants, when in fact it is developing within us character and carrying capacity to carry our destiny. The tests we face, the giants we encounter, are producing within us a character of Christ-likeness Christ and obedience to God to set us up for our future. So today I'd like to look at four ways for us to face tests head on with perseverance, courageous in the knowledge that God is with us and has equipped us for victory. Firstly, we'll need to flip our story. Consider David. One perspective of David's life is that he was the forgotten son of his father, the only one left out of the eight brothers when the prophet Samuel came to eat. He was left shepherding sheep, and while he was out shepherding sheep, he was attacked by the lion and the bear. And even after David was eventually called by his father and anointed by Saul, he was sent back to shepherd sheep instead of being with his brothers fighting on the front line for God. And even after taking down Goliath he, and, and, and winning victory for Saul, Saul persecuted him. And then he was forsaken by his men and isolated in a foreign land. If David looked at his story through this lens, he'd have been forgiven for thinking that God hadn't set him up very well for his future. And that, in fact, he may well have thought that God was against him and that all these oppositions that he faced was ruining him. But David allowed God's testing to become his testimony. He trusted that the author of his story was God and believed that his story was his setup. David saw that though his earthly father forgot about him, his heavenly father anointed him and appointed him as king. He saw that though his earthly father just left him tending sheep, that this was in fact training to tend the sheep of his heavenly father, Israel. David saw that though he was attacked by the lion and the bear, the Lord had overcome those for him. And so it gave him confidence to face the giant Goliath because the Lord would come through for him again. 
David saw that though his earthly father only asked him to deliver sandwiches to his brothers, his heavenly father would ask him to deliver all of Israel from the hand of Goliath. David knew that though Saul would persecute him, God would promote him. That though his men abandoned him, his Lord would never forsake him. David, David's life shows us how his story was his setup. David shepherded his, shepherded his father's sheep to set him up to shepherd his heavenly father's sheep, Israel. David delivered sandwiches to set him up to deliver Israel. David overcame the lion and the bear, and it set him up to slay the giant Goliath. First Samuel says, this is how David recalled his story. He said, David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. David saw that his story was his setup. And so what part of your story is your setup? There is power in our story. Revelation tells us that they triumphed over him being our enemy and they being us by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So it's what Jesus did, but also what God is doing through us. The way we tell our story sets us up to triumph over our enemy. So what is your story? Your story is your setup. And I believe God has set us up for success. Secondly, we, know, we need to learn to fit our sling. We often think that David was ill-equipped to face Goliath. But not only had the testing of his character given him confidence that God would help him overcome Goliath, but he was actually better equipped than the giant in the fight. It was Goliath, after all, who brought a knife to a gunfight. We might think of David's sling as a toy, but David had a skill with the sling that at such close range was far more dangerous, more dangerous even than a bow and arrow. And he had the target the size of a giant. God had equipped him well to win. David allowed God to reset the way he told his story. And so he saw how well equipped he was to be victorious in battle. And the same is true of us. God does not leave us ill-equipped, unprepared, or unqualified. We are well-equipped for warfare, and we are prepared to be victorious in battle. You're equipped for the battle, and your story is your sling. David says, or the Scripture says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took, off, he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. David didn't wear Saul's armor or take his sword. He took what God had equipped him with. Don't try someone else's armor or try be someone that you are not. Use what God has placed in your hand. God said to Moses, what is that in your hand? Use that. What has God given you to carry? What has he developed in you over your life that can be used to fight your giants and claim your victory? That which God has placed in your hand, 
is your setup for success. Ephesians 6 tells us we've been equipped with everything we need. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against all the spiritual forces in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. You're equipped with everything you need to stand and to be victorious. And our encouragement is to use what is in our hand. Thirdly, we need to learn to face our giants. The presence of a test or a battle or a giant to overcome is not a sign that God has forsaken us. David reset the way he looked at his giant by viewing Goliath as an opportunity to overcome and to glorify God rather than an obstacle to his faith in God. Like David, it took the obedience to shepherd sheep that grew within him, the character to shepherd his father's sheep, Israel. It took the lion and the bear to attack him, for him to know that God would help him overcome any giant that he faced. It took the testing of the Lord to mold him into the man for a mission. And the same is true for us. When we encounter giants in our lives or tests to face or to overcome on route to our inheritance, we want to have the confidence of David that God is for us, not the fear of his brothers who couldn't go out and face Goliath. We want to have the confidence of Joshua that God is for us in our inheritance, not the fear of the other 10 spies. Moses' victory came when he faced Pharaoh head on. Joshua's victory came when he faced the giants in the promised land. David's victory came when he faced Goliath. Our giants are there to teach us the art of warfare, to teach us obedience to God and bold faith and trust that he is with us. David said, uh, I don't actually have that scripture up, but he said, goes on to say here as he's facing Goliath, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you all into our hands. We sang about it earlier. The battle is the Lord and he declares us victorious if we humbly trust in him. Scripture says, not by power nor my might, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. God said to Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God says to Moses, so now go, go face Pharaoh. I am sending you to rescue my people. Like Isaiah the prophet, our heart toward God should be, here I am, send me, Lord. Like David, we should say, let no one lose heart on account of our enemy. Your servant will go and fight. We should be measuring the size of our God rather than the size of our giants, confident in the fact that he goes before us and he declares us victorious when we face our tests. Goliath is a bit like our enemy, full of big talk, trying to intimidate and deceive us like a roaring lion. But we have the Lion of Judah, the one through whom our victory is already won, the one through whom our enemy is already defeated on the cross. The ultimate battle was fought and won by Jesus on our behalf. And so we are now declared victorious as we go in to battle. That scripture I read earlier in Ephesians 6 speaks about our enemy not being of flesh and blood. But this is what Jesus did to our enemy. In this way, Colossians 2 says, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. His victory is our victory. 
We face our giants with boldness because God gives us victory in advance. We need to step into that. So what's your giant? That which God has placed in front of you, He has delivered into your hands. He's just inviting us to step out with boldness. And finally, we need to find our boundaries. Moses, Joshua, and David were all tasked with implementing and maintaining boundaries in order to protect the freedom and inheritance that God had given them. Healthy boundaries and a remembrance of the Lord establishes peace. These disciplines are what produce the harvest of righteousness we read about earlier in Hebrews 12. The daily disciplines that determine our destiny. God said to Moses in Numbers 33, If you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you live. We are tasked with the ruthless elimination of things in our lives that are not from God. The testing of the children of Israel was to see whether they would choose to obey God or choose to follow the ways of the land that they went to live in. And what we find is that the people that remained, those things that they didn't get rid of, became barbs in their eyes and thorns in their sides. As I mentioned earlier, I think I've mentioned it before, I recently got married and um, my wife and I went on honeymoon and we had the privilege of going to a game farm for a few nights. And chatting to the game ranger who is responsible for the farm, he said that one of his most important roles that he checks every single day is the boundary fences of the farm. Are they strong and well-maintained? Part of that is to ensure that their value, valued assets don't get out. But a more important part is to, show, to ensure that things don't get in to destroy what they have. So even good things like elephants, you'd think a game farm wants elephants, but too many elephants will destroy all the trees, there'll be no more food, no more protection for the animals. The um, other animals will come in, drink from the, the watering hole, and then their animals thirst and have nothing to drink. So they needed to protect that which they had by setting, setting up strong boundary fences. And sure, sometimes the leopards still scaled the boundary fences and came in. And sometimes the elephants would try to get in and knock it, knock it over. And sometimes the baboons would cause destruction. But they'd have run amok in their game reserve if they didn't put some boundary fences up to protect their inheritance. God asks of us to put in the discipline of being ready to fight and being ready to set up boundary lines to protect our inheritance. Psalm 16 says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. So where is your boundary? What boundary lines do we need to establish and reaffirm to protect the inheritance that God has in store for us? Today, I'd like to remind us that when we are faced with a test or a giant or a fight for our future, that this is part of God's preparation for our promised inheritance. And we are well equipped for the fight. God has set us up to be victorious. David did little things like they were big things. And God did big things for him like they were little things. He was faithful with little. And so God entrusted him with much. His discipline determined his destiny. Discipline is love. Persevering through testing and learning the art of warfare to fight for our future, for our inheritance, is part of what produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Spiritual warfare looks like humble trust 
and bold obedience in God. It looks like flipping our story, turning around our testimony so that it is our setup. It's by which we overcome. It's fitting our sling, that which God has equipped us with to face our giants. And then it is boldly facing those giants, knowing that God declares us victorious and putting boundaries around that which he has given us as our inheritance to protect it. Pastor George spoke recently about a certain cycle we see in the world, that tough times produce strong people, and strong people produce good times, and good times produce weak people, weak people produce tough times, and so the cycle begins again. We don't want to be weak people and therefore squander the inheritance that God has in store for us. We shouldn't take testing as a sign that God is against us, but rather that God is for us and is developing character within us. And then when things do go well, the key is to remember where our success comes from. Our success comes from the Lord. To stay humble before God, giving thanks to Him, establishing healthy boundaries around them to protect our inheritance for ourselves and for future generations. So today I want to encourage us that God has set us up for the win and our invitation is to walk victoriously with Him. If you are able to, will you please stand with me as we close in prayer? I'd like to remind you that there is personal prayer available for you after the service, as well as communion up front on either side. If you're new or visiting us, a welcome lounge at Entrance 3, and otherwise coffee available uh, in Warehouse 1 afterwards. Shall we pray? Father, we are so grateful that you are our Father who loves us and has our best interests at heart. Thank you that out of your love for us, you grow us and stretch us for our own good. Thank you that in the testing, you are faithful and that you never test us beyond what we can handle, but instead your grace is always sufficient for us. Thank you that through your Son, Jesus Christ, we are victorious before we even step onto the battlefield. For the battle is the Lord's and the cross is our emblem of victory. Thank you that you teach us the disciplines required to determine our destiny, that your boundary lines have fallen for us in favorable places. And surely we have a delightful inheritance because of you. And so we thank you for this. In Jesus' wonderful, perfect and precious name. Amen.